to worship. We're so glad that you're here today. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Would you stand together with us as we sing Almighty and the Birthday of a King.
please be seated. This morning, as we spend some time together in prayer, we want to be sure and lift up uh, this season when there are so many things going on and people rushing back and forth. And we want to make sure that we're centered on the true meaning of the season. And then also we want to pray for those who are, are uh, remembering loved ones that they've lost over the last year, uh, the first holiday, since that can be very difficult. And we want to certainly lift up those families, many of whom are in our church this morning. And we also want to be in prayer today for our international missionaries all over the world. Uh, after I pray, we're going to sing a song, and uh, you'll be invited to come and bring, if you have any more of your white Christmas items, you can bring those down, or if you have your Lottie Moon Christmas offering, I hope you'll bring those. We're just going to put those in the area around the nativity scene up here so that we can find those easily after the service as we celebrate white Christmas. But as we go to the Lord in prayer, remember those missionaries uh, all over the world, and one of the wonderful things that we have here at First Baptist is relationships with, with missionaries who are currently serving our International Mission Board, but also those who've retired. So I feel like we have this direct connect and a, really a greater responsibility than a lot of other churches to make sure that Lottie Moon is funded as well as possible and that goals are met. And so we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, remembering these needs. If you're on the ground floor and you're able, would you join me in kneeling for this time of prayer together? Our Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful for this wonderful season in which we can come and worship. And, and the whole season is permeated and punctuated with worship. And Lord, we want to join with the angels and the shepherds and, and even the magi in worshiping you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we thank you for the salvation that you brought to earth. We thank you, Lord, for your presence that's always with us as Emmanuel, the peace that you give as the Prince of Peace, the comfort you provide as the wonderful Counselor, and the strong arm of love and support that you give as the Everlasting Father. And Lord, at this season, we pray that we would focus entirely on you. Lord, help us not get lost in all the busyness and the distractions. Sometimes it just gets overwhelming, and we pray, Lord, that we would be able to center and find a quiet spot to reflect upon you. We also pray, Lord, for those who have lost loved ones in this last year, and we ask for you to be very near to them. Comfort them during this season. Help them to find joy in the midst of their sorrow. And, Lord, may you fill the void in their celebration with your own presence. And we ask, God, that you would also be with our missionaries around the world. Lord, we're so grateful that they've answered the call Many of them in places that can't be disclosed. They can't even use their names on prayer lists. And, and Lord, we're so grateful for them being so courageous to follow your calling in their lives. And we ask God your blessing upon them this hour, Lord. Help them to fill our prayers upon them. Thank you, Lord, for your protection, for your guidance, and your sustenance for them. As we continue to worship today, may we experience you in a mighty way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may now come and bring your Lottie Moon Christmas offering.
Angels sing, praises ring to the newborn King. Peace on earth, here with us, joy awakening at your feet we fall. Angels sing, praises ring to the newborn King. Peace on Joy awakening at your feet. 
Father, we just pause before you, thinking that you are worthy of worship. You're worthy of praise. And Lord, thank you at this time of year, in this season, we celebrate the most wonderful gift that we could ever receive, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that in your infinite plan, you sent your son, born of a woman, to be our kinsman that redeems us from our sin. And we just thank you and we love you. And Lord, now as we pause before you and we worship you with our tithes and our offerings and our gifts, we just ask that you take them and use them. And Lord, thank you for your blessings that follow us wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.
that your baby boy is Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And this sleeping child you're holding is the great, the great. about attraction and repulsion early in life. Just watch a baby being introduced to new foods. When the baby tastes something he likes, his eyes widen and his mouth pops back open. Give me some more. But when the baby tastes something she doesn't like, she tightens her mouth and turns away. It's the law of attraction and repulsion. Then as you grow up, you hit about, I don't know, sixth grade or so, and girls start liking boys, and boys start liking girls, but maybe you don't necessarily like the girl or boy who likes you, and the girl or boy who, like, who you like doesn't necessarily like you, and so you go through all of these years of agony and heartbreak as you learn a little bit different side of the law of attraction and repulsion. The law of attraction and repulsion is actually scientific law. I'm sure at some point in time, you've played with magnets. Some of you men still may do so in the privacy of your shop. You put magic magnets together one way and bam, they come together. They'll come across the table at each other if they're big enough. You try to turn them around and put them together the other way and you can't get them close, even with the strength of Samson. The law of attraction and repulsion says that like charges repel and unlike charges attract. Did you know that the law of attraction and repulsion was at work in Jesus' life? You see, the Lord Jesus attracted the lowly, but he repelled those who thought they were lords themselves. The attraction to Jesus resulted in lives being changed for eternity. The repulsion from Jesus resulted in Jesus dying on the cross. Philippians 2.8 says that Jesus was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What did that law of attraction and repulsion in Jesus' life look like? This morning I want us to journey through some accounts in the Gospels where this attraction took place. And I'm not going to look at places where 
people were repelled from Jesus because that's not who we want to be like. We want to be like those who are attracted to Jesus. So what does that look like? And so this morning, let your fingers do the walking as we journey through some of the gospel accounts and we see why people were attracted to Jesus. And let's begin in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. And this is just one of several places where we find that suffering people were attracted to to Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 verses 23 and 25, suffering people were attracted to Jesus. Matthew writes, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus was only a few months into his ministry at this time as this attraction to him started taking place. And we see in verse 23, Jesus' threefold ministry of teaching and preaching and healing. And everywhere he went, he did those three things. On occasion, he did other things like multiply food or walk on water or some other kind of miracle. But nearly every ministry day included three mainstays of Jesus' ministry, teaching the people, preaching, and healing. And as Jesus carried out this very focused ministry, Suffering people were attracted to him. And notice what Matthew says. All of these different kinds of suffering. Those who were sick with various illnesses. And we would assume that they were severely sick because people had to bring them to Jesus. There were others who were in severe pain. Still others were demon-possessed. Some were having seizures. And others were paralyzed. And all of these suffering people came to Jesus, and they came to Jesus because they needed relief, and they heard that Jesus could provide that relief. And he did. The Gospels are full of the stories of Jesus healing these suffering people. The paralyzed got up and walked. The blind were made to see. The lepers were cleansed. Those with seizures were healed. God, do it again in our son Evan's life. The demon-possessed were set free. It happened every day. And as it did, more and more people were attracted to Jesus. But why could Jesus confront suffering? Why was he the answer? Because Jesus is the antidote to sin and all suffering results from sin. Now that, that suffering you're experiencing doesn't necessarily track to some sin personally in your life. But it does trace back at least to the original sin that started in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve took of that fruit and ate of the forbidden tree, sin was unleashed into the world. And like a thorny vine growing among flowers, slowly sickness stole away health. Worry triumphed over confidence. Pain replaced joy. Frustration replaced fulfillment. 
and the harshness of thorns came to the beauty of roses. Suffering entered the world, and it would never leave. But while suffering may have been here to stay, Jesus came to give a way out of suffering. He put on flesh and even became obedient to the worst thing suffering had to offer, and that was death. But Jesus triumphed over death. The very best suffering had to offer was completely and totally destroyed by Jesus. And so today we can join with the Apostle Paul who asked, Where, O death, is your power? Where, O grave, is your sting? And the answer is gone. So still today... Suffering people should be attracted to Jesus. We still suffer from illness and pain and demon possession and seizures and more. And though God has gifted us with the ability to cure or limit the effects of many of these through modern medicine, as one of our physician members so accurately says, all healing is faith healing. All healing is faith healing because every physician needs the guidance of the great physician. And every medication needs the additional application of the balm of Gilead. All healing is faith healing. So if, if you're suffering today, be attracted to Jesus. Don't abandon him. Just because he doesn't heal you instantly, don't be repelled from him. Come in humility. And surrender and in complete abandon and find rest in him. You need him. No matter what comes your way, it ain't got nothing on Jesus. The suffering people humbled themselves and they turned their eyes upon Jesus. But not only were the suffering attracted to Jesus, we also learned from the Gospels that the sinful people were attracted to Jesus. Really? The sinful people? Wouldn't they be repelled by one so holy? Well, turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15 is a rather long passage, but I want you to look at what's happening in it at the beginning of Luke 15. Jesus had been ministering for some time. The suffering had been touched by him. The religious elite are being repelled by him. They're growing increasingly agitated. But sinners are being attracted to him. And here in Luke 15, 1 and 2, we find this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners. And eats with them. Why would sinners be attracted to Jesus? Jesus deals with the response of the Pharisees. Not by answering them or saying, hey guys, get a grip or get over it. Or, yeah, he doesn't tell them all. He just tells them three stories. One, two, three. Back to back. And to know why sinners were attracted to Jesus... All you have to do is look at these stories. Story number one. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep 
and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Story number two. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her, neighbor, her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Story number three. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together and all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. 
and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. These three stories are as powerful today as they were in the first century. For we can easily see why the sinners were attracted to Jesus. For we can easily see that too often we're unlike Jesus, who is the shepherd, who is the widow, who is the waiting father, who searches and longs for the wayward because of his great love. Instead, we're far more like the brother. We hold grudges. We remember sins. We refuse to forgive. We refuse to reconcile. And that's why sinful people call us church people hypocrites. And they're repelled from us sometimes. But have you ever realized that no sinful person ever called Jesus a hypocrite? They, they weren't repelled from him either. Instead, they were ever attracted to him. Everyone from the red light district prostitutes to the white collar crime tax collectors to prideful fishermen were attracted to Jesus and they were attracted to his loving grace and they were attracted for two reasons. First, they knew they were sinners. And second, they realized Jesus loved them anyway. And that led them to repentance of their sin. There was once a little boy who, was, who approached the mall Santa with a long list of requests and he wanted a bicycle and a sled and a chemistry set and a cowboy suit and a set of trains and a baseball glove and roller skates. And the mall Santa said, man, that's a long list. I'm going to have to see if you've been good or not. The boy said, oh, never mind. I'll just take the roller skates. <laughs> Big change comes to you when you know you are a sinner. And we all are. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And often the difference between those who are attracted to Jesus and those who are repelled from Jesus is that those who are repelled by Jesus can't admit their sin. But what a freedom comes when we do. What freedom comes when we come to Jesus and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Because we are so broken in our sin. But Jesus, seeing our repentance, cries out, let's throw a party. Because this child of mine has come back home. Let's throw a party. Because what was lost is now found. Let's throw a party. Because they have returned. So if you're stuck in sin... Be attracted to Jesus. Give some gifts this Christmas that will set you free and allow you to turn from sin and to Jesus. Mend that quarrel with your siblings. Well, that's not sin. Oh, really? Tell that family member, I love you. Forgive that person that treated you wrong. Apologize where you were wrong. 
Dismiss the, the suspicion you have. Correct the gossip you've spread. Put down that lustful attraction. Step away from the banquet table a little earlier. Let go of worry and hold on to prayer. And whatever other sins that might be grabbing hold of you, let them go and turn to Jesus. When you do, you'll find yourself attracted to him. Your life will be changed. There'll be a new freedom. There'll be a new sense of peace. There'll be a new sense of direction. The, symbol, the, the, the sinful people humbled themselves and turned their eyes toward Jesus. Just as the suffering did. But also, broken parents were attracted to Jesus. If you turn back to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 5 Verses 22, we find where some broken parents were attracted to Jesus. How many of you know parenting is hard? Somebody like, yes, got a witness. There is no way to describe the love a parent has for a child. And so therefore, heartache that comes into your life from your kids is really, really difficult. And when they disappoint you, your heart breaks. And when they're suffering, your heart breaks. And when they die before you, your heart breaks. You can barely handle it. When you're a broken parent, you need Jesus. So here in Mark 5, 22 and following, we read a story where one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came to Jesus. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in around him. This Jewish synagogue ruler found that his daughter was deathly ill. And he goes to the one place he knows he can find help. This Jesus that he has heard so much about. And he pleads his case to Jesus. He's attracted to Jesus because he knew the things Jesus could do. And Jairus needed Jesus to do the things that Jesus could do for his own daughter. And so Jairus and Jesus begin walking to Jairus' home. They're interrupted along the way by another need. And then in verse 35, bad news comes. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And talk about your heart falling. You got Jesus. You're on your way to the place where he can heal your daughter. And before you can get there, she dies. But don't give up hope. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, 
He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. How many of you parents have pleaded for your kids before the Lord like Jairus and his wife did? It may not have been your child was dying or presumed dead, but there was something going on. You pleaded and pleaded and pleaded with God. And it's not just when they're young, is it? You senior adults, you tell me, yeah, it never stops. <laughs> you never stop worrying about your kids. You're 90 years old and still praying for them. Because what hurts them hurts you. And so while you may not be pr praying about their struggles at school anymore, still sicknesses come, injuries come, rebellion comes, heartache comes, job struggles come, marriage troubles come, challenges with their kids come. And we fall on our knees before God for our kids. Why? Because we know he'll be there. And we don't have any other thing we can do. Now like you, I've prayed. And God hasn't always given the answer I've wanted. In fact, Rebecca's home with our youngest son Evan today. Because God hasn't answered a prayer we've prayed for his healing and strength. I've prayed with you. And God hasn't always given us the answer we wanted. And I don't know why God sometimes chooses to heal in this life and why and sometimes he doesn't. I don't know why he allows miscarriages or a death from SIDS or a drunk driver or a freak accident or maladies that are just there forever. I don't know why God sometimes allows us to go through seasons of intense struggle. But I do know two things. First, whatever happens, God is with us and will never leave us. He will see you through at least 95 times in the Bible. God reminds us that he's with us. I love Isaiah 41.10 that says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. No matter what happens, God is with you and will never leave you. The second thing that I know is that God wastes nothing. Every tragedy, heartache, disappointment, trial, and defeat that comes into our lives will be used by God to make us stronger. It will be used by God for our good. He will use that horrible thing to bring about good because you love him, as Romans 8.28 says. That he works for the good of those who love him. And certainly he will use whatever is happening in your life so that you can then comfort someone else who's experiencing the same kind of thing as he tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. So if you're a broken parent today, be attracted to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Call on his name. Fall at his feet and watch what he will do. Broken parents humbled themselves and they turned their eyes towards Jesus. Suffering people humbled themselves and turned their eyes towards Jesus. Sick people humbled themselves before Jesus and turned their eyes toward him. And we haven't even had time today to talk about all the others who were attracted to Jesus. 
those who were grieving and those who were rejoicing and those who were faithful and those who wanted to know the truth and on and on and on it goes. But what we see is that the Lord Jesus attracted the lowly, but he repelled those who thought they were lords themselves. You can't submit to the Lord if you think yourself a Lord. If you want to be attracted to Jesus, you've got to humble yourself before him and turn your eyes to him. Lilius Trotter was a devoted Christian who became a pioneer missionary to the Sufi Muslims in Algeria. Ms. Trotter wrote a number of books during her time of ministry and she elaborated, she illustrated those elaborately. And it was during World War I, however, that she wrote and illustrated what became probably her most popular piece, Not because of the peace itself necessarily, but because of what resulted from the peace. In that little pamphlet that's entitled Focused, a story and a song, she began with an illustration. It was in a little wood in early morning. The sun was climbing behind a steep cliff in the east and its light was flooding nearer and nearer and then making pools among the trees. Suddenly, from a dark corner of purple-brown stems and tawny moss, there shone out a great golden star. It was just a dandelion and half-withered, but it was full face to the sun and had caught into its heart all the glory it could hold and was shining so radiantly that the dew which lay on it still made a perfect aureole around its head. And it seemed to talk about the possibility of making the very best of our lives. For if the sun of righteousness has risen power upon our hearts, there is an ocean of grace and love and power lying all around us. And it is ready to transfigure us as the sunshine transfigured the dandelion on the same condition that we stand full face to God. Some years later, after Miss Trotter had written that pamphlet, Helen Lemel was given that pamphlet by a friend of hers. And Miss Lemel was a songwriter and musician. And as she read that pamphlet, she was caught up by one particular statement in that pamphlet that said, Turn full your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him, and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. And these words so moved Helen that she promptly sat down and began writing a song. The words flowing from her pen, it was one of those rare compositions that just writes itself. The song was published the same year, 1918. It was recorded in 1922. And at the very same time, various parts of Britain and Ireland were experiencing powerful movements of the Holy Spirit as revival swept through that land. And the Holy Spirit of God used that song to become popular among those in the revival movement, and the song began to spread. And so a half-withered dandelion, which stood full face to the sun, had inspired a missionary to write a pamphlet that inspired a songwriter to write a song that inspired and fueled revival, doing just what the song suggested. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Are you attracted to Jesus today? If you're feeling you're turning away, would you turn to him full face to the Son of God and allow him to shine into your life? No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what the heartache is, would you lay it before him? And allow him to let all of those things grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May God bless it. May God guide us. May we pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. There may be sin entangling us. There may be burdens weighing us down. And Lord, we want to release those today and to turn our eyes towards you. Lord, draw us near. Draw us close is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.